Thank you, musicians. Those on the platform, thank you uh, so much for your ministry, the ushers, uh, the sound, everybody that makes this evening possible, our audiovisual team. Uh, we've obviously got problems with our projector. Uh, we have to wait for an engineer to come out and sort that out. But uh, leadership uh, is not just anyone can see problems, but leaders solve problems. So I'm very thankful for the team uh, that got their heads together, came up with another plan, so at least we could worship together uh, to some degree, and we're very thankful for them. Proverbs 5, verse 7 to verse 14, let's have a look at that. I read a newspaper article the other day, and it said, the moment you arrive at Okawa Primary School, it's clear something terrible happened. It stands amid the fields in the countryside in northern Japan, an open-sided ruin of gaping windows and buckled concrete, the only remnant of an entire village washed away by the great tsunami in 2011. A small museum, newly opened, displays panels that, in a muddled fashion, tells the story of 74 children and 10 teachers who died when the wave overwhelmed the school, one of the worst disasters of a colossal catastrophe. And the reason why this museum has been opened and uh, people are talking about this tragedy is that the deaths of these children and teachers were avoidable. The teachers, for whatever reason, and in doing so lost their own lives, so it wasn't wickedness. But they ignored repeated warnings to evacuate. They kept the children sitting in the playground as the tsunami came closer and closer. There was a hill next door to the school that they easily could have walked up and it would have saved all their lives. But they didn't. There is a tsunami that is sweeping our nations, our churches, and that is the tsunami of adultery. And uh, there are people now sitting in the rubble of a marriage, broken people, desperately trying to make sense of what went wrong. And many times when you look and when you examine, warning signs were unheeded. Either they were not seen or not acknowledged. So I want to preach a message from Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 to verse 14. Affairs don't start in bedrooms. They start with conversations. Proverbs 5, 7 to 14. Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say how I hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly 
and the congregation. I want to look with you first of all as we, as we, as we start. Uh, that was an interesting image. Can we have a look at that again just for a second? That, that, okay. <laughs> Two blokes having a fight, but hey, you know, okay, all right, that's fine. Blindsided. Okay, we're talking about adultery. Blindsided. No born-again, spirit-filled believer goes into marriage planning to be unfaithful. I was reading a book the other day, and Jake came past my office and saw me reading and asked me what I was reading. I said, Jake, I'm reading a book called The Anatomy of an Affair by a chap called Dave Carter, worth a read, The Anatomy of an Affair. He seemed a bit puzzled why I would be reading it. And I explained to him it was a book about affairs, about attractions and addictions that develop and how to guard your marriage against them. And I could tell by his response that, and comments that he, he didn't kind of get it. It's like, surely it's common sense. Surely you can see the signs. I mean, surely you, you, you know. But that's the problem. We don't. And most Christians and most people see themselves as immune. We would never do that. Oh, no, no, no. What, what I'm involved in is simply a good friendship. We connect well. We, we, we share the same uh, uh, things. It's, it's, it's harmless. I can handle it. It's, I know there's an emotional intensity to it, but, but there's nothing more. I would never... In this book, it says the denial is so powerful that if you told this adulterer-to-be that within 24 hours they would violate their own values, threaten their marriage, and risk their career, they would deny it. And many times when you're looking as this tsunami has passed a family, you're looking many times at couples that are sitting there wondering, how did we get to this place? Why did they do what they did? How could this happen to us? Because most of us, if not all of us, refuse to see it as a possibility. And because of that, we get blindsided. In our text, it says, and you mourn at last. I'm bringing a quote from this book that, again, is worth a read. I'm at my wit's end and looking for help. I cannot watch my family go down the drain without trying every possible option. First and foremost, this is all my fault. I'm not blaming anyone for this mess but myself. Some of this may sound like I'm making excuses, but I'm not. I'm a 46-year-old physician. And then he begins to tell his story. And he ends with the words, So she has even said, I love this woman and one day will go back to her. Nothing can be further from the truth. I love my wife and family, and the thought of losing them is too much to bear. We've prayed for help and guidance, but we just haven't made any progress. Over the past six months, she has fluctuated quite a bit, but always seems to come back to a literal rage of depression, bitterness, anger, and hurt. It's been hell, and it looks like it's going to explode. You see, for an affair to happen... 
certain components have to be in place for it to thrive. And the first component is denial, is this could never happen. Here's the point. We are all sexual beings. We've been created by God with this dimension in our personality. The reason why God put that in there is otherwise we would never procreate. We're selfish creatures by nature. And so God, in his wisdom, put that out. Men would never fix up. We would still be living in caves. So God puts this natural sexual attraction. It's it's something. So here's the point is sexual attraction is natural. Pastor Fred Ruby preached an incredible sermon to the men, and I think uh, I asked his permission and re-preached it here, if I can remember. It was a masterpiece sermon, and it was out of the proverb, scripture in Proverbs that talks about the way of a virgin with a man. And uh, what he was talking about and illuminating for us was the fact of the power of a beautiful woman. And uh, in his men's meeting that we met outside of McDonald's, he explained, you know, a man is perhaps conducting interviews at work, and uh, the next candidate comes in, and she's a stunning woman. And uh, this man's a good man. He's a, possibly a Christian. He's a, he has no intent. But the effect, the way of a woman with a man, Now, he has choices on how he deals with that, but sexual attraction is something that is is natural. That is also true of the woman. Some things are not going good at home. There's no value. There's little appreciation. And all of a sudden, her work colleague is laughing at her jokes. He's listening to her stories, and there's something about his attention shows that he understands And something now begins to click within her. People that say this could never happen are many times ignorant or ignoring the alarm bells, which is why our text is clear. Please listen. Please listen, my children. Please hear me now. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Why are you still at that workplace when you know you are flattered by the attention of someone there? Why are you still in that job when you can't seem to get that person out of your mind. You look forward to the next interaction. Why do you spend so long on Facebook and social media just looking at past flames or old school friends? Why? Listen. Run. Flee. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It is not good enough to pray for strength. God does not promise strength in this situation. 
He simply says, flee, run, avoid. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burnt, the proverb says. Don't play with this. Don't think to yourself, this will not be me. Do not, uh, 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 you know, let me say, of course it doesn't have to happen. There are multitudes of faithful marriages. But I would put to you that perhaps the reason why they are faithful is they live with the truth and the reality that uh, I am not immune and therefore uh, I've got to do something to defend myself and my family and my home. And the first thing is to remove yourself from temptation. The second thing that I want us to look at is the potential blessing of the church. I was reading this the other day, and that's, I think I mentioned it in, in last week's sermon that I was going to preach it on Sunday, but as you can appreciate, it was a wedding on Sunday, and I thought, mm, this might not be a, a good su- a wedding sermon. We want to, you know, start off the, but I realized, hang on, I preach on Wednesdays too. So it, it was God and it fitted. And so, but as I was reading this text, it hit me the lament how I've hated instruction. My heart has despised correction. I've not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. This man, and it could easily be a woman, is talking about the shame. Now the shame, lest you give your honor to others. The torment of regret and guilt. You give your years to the cruel one. Your health is now affected. Now now flesh and your body are consumed. Your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Now others have rights to your life. You mourn at last because you can't mourn at the time because there's so much going on. And yet despite this description of absolute devastation, physical, emotional, mental collapse, all of the things involved as the fruit of this uh, 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 affair or close call or whatever has happened, is, is then he says these words, and this is what leapt out of me, and it dis- yet he describes all of this, and he says, I was on the verge of total ruin. I was on the verge of total ruin. So despite all of this, he's not in total ruin. And I thought that was odd because that's quite an intense description. And then it hit me. When you're in the midst of the assembly and the congregation, there is always hope. He was on the verge. But just because of where he was sitting, there was hope. Because if you're in the house... What is happening in your life doesn't have to be your epitaph. When you're sitting in the house of God, it doesn't have to be your fate. In the house of God, new chapters can be written. In the house of God, direction can be changed. Healing can occur. Wisdom can be received. Now, I know this next illustration is slightly off track and And one day, as I said to the sister, it deserves a whole sermon. She was speaking to me and she made this thing that God had showed her. 
She'd been hurt uh, by the church and different things had happened. She said these words, the church where I had been hurt was to become the very place I was to be healed. Right there, every pastor went, wow, that's a, that's a message from God. The very place. And you know, I was a bit defensive because of the church. Hey, it's our church, man. But we know sometimes the church can hurt. But she came to the revelation that even in the place I was hurt, God has ordained for me to find healing. Because there's something about the congregation. There's something about the people of God. There's something about this place. There's something about church. And though the context of her comment was nothing to do with this subject, the truth is that healing, you find healing in a place that is not always comfortable. It's not always comfortable when you're sitting in this tsunami and you're aware that people are aware, just life, but, but yet still, it is the place of healing. It's a place where we can learn about the wiles of the devil. We can understand the strategies, and as I said, we can find hope. But let me say this to you. I said it is a potential of the house of God. Because for you to sit on the, it, to be, to find that hope, to find that uh, the, uh, purposes of God again, a fundamental change must occur and that is a change in our attitude. Because in our text, this predicament is largely because we don't listen. How I hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I've not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Let me tell you, people, people that don't do well in life are the stubborn. People that don't, don't, don't do well in life are the proud. Those that blame everybody else. If you're going to receive what God has for you, what he's ordained and what he can do, then fundamentally this attitude has to change. There are four things that has to change that our author speaks of. And the first is that you would love instruction. I want to tell you, if you're going to make use of, if you're going to, if you're going to receive what God intends, there has to be something in your heart that says, I love instruction. We're going to be starting again in January at 9.30 every Sunday morning. We're going to be beginning a series by Pastor Greg Mitchell on rejection. It is going to heal so many. He said to me, it's the most profound study I've ever done. Now, when Pastor Greg says something like that, you, we need to listen. The effect of those lessons have transformed people's lives that for years have been dealing with issues. And so I would put it to you. I know what's going to happen in, in some cases at 9.30 in the morning. The very person that needs it will stay at home. You see, for you to receive, you've, you've got to love instruction. There's got to be something. We, we showed a series on money in a Sunday school. It's twice, actually. And again, I wonder how many people didn't come to it and today are still wrestling with their finances. I want to tell you there has to be something that changes in your heart, that there's something about you said, I want, I want to learn and I want to be instructions. I've recommended a book and many books over the years, but one book, and it has a few little, you know, so-and-sos, but a book that I'd love to give to couples and recommend is a book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egriches. Love and Respect. 
Now, a little while ago, uh, I was dealing with a couple. They've been saved for years in the ministry, uh, uh, doing a work for God, but yet their marriage was always just, it was rough. Anyway, I recommended this book again. And then I emailed, I emailed her. And she replied, and I've got permission to read this. She says, I love the book. A lot to think about, look forward to reading all of it. There are just some thoughts I wrote down while reading. I went from anger to understanding. Bear with me, Pastor, LOL. It's the criticism I get and and the complaining all the time. I sometimes feel the roles are reversed. He does things a woman would do, slamming doors, throwing things, putting me down. She goes on, I'm just taking bits out. He's constantly telling me what to do, how I should do things. And if I don't do it his way, he's vexed. Even if I explain why I'm doing something, I can't share my feelings with him. I find it hard to talk to him. So I end up bottling it all up. I'm so frustrated. And then she said, I understand the difference between love and respect now and how he can be feeling. I need God to help me to respect him because I'm finding it very hard. And then different. She says, I realize now it's my tone and facial expressions that probably show my lack of respect for him. It just hit me. We easily see what is done to us before we see what we are doing to our mate. This is true. I need to see what I'm doing to him. He listens to others because he feels respected by them. He doesn't feel respected by me. So I know I have to change that. I'm also scared of rejection. So I don't know what to do. I need God. The house is tense. I feel God telling me to apologize. But truth is I'm scared to do it because he might ignore me. I know the pattern. However, I know I need to listen to God. She then went on and she went on. She said, I prayed then and I went and apologized to him. And wow, the change in his demeanor was awesome. He held out his arms and hugged me. I'm excited to finish the book. I am a work in progress. We both are praying for the change in me to come about. I know God can move. Thank you for being there for us. I know, listen, I know this is not a magic book to fix all of our issues, but it is an eye-opener in understanding how my husband feels and not just focusing on how I feel. Now, here's the interesting thing. Not only that, but I emailed the husband numbers of, of weeks later and I don't know if he knew that I'd, I'd recommended this book again. And I asked him how things were going. And he said, so-and-so came and apologized for her attitude about three weeks ago. And dot, dot, dot. It's like a completely different woman in the house. I think she may have been adopted by aliens. But no, seriously, we're very good, Pastor. He said, I don't know what's happened. It's like someone took the old one and replaced it with a new one. I wonder how many people have that book on their shelf. Started it and put it down. I wonder how many resources are available to you if you would just have an attitude 
that says, I love instruction. I love correction is the second. How I hated instruction and my heart despised correction. You see, when, you, when you're hurt, when you're betrayed, when, when things are, it, it's very hard to look inward. Because you're hurt, you want to make sure that the other person knows that they're to blame. And it's very hard to pause and, and, and without feeling that somehow they're, going, they're getting off the hook, just say, God, pull back the covers and allow me to see my own neglect, my own harshness perhaps, my own lack of gentleness and intimacy or how in fact I come across. The problem is when we're afraid of correction, we're actually afraid of being vulnerable and therefore we won't let anyone come close. And the result is because of that, we're stuck in our ways. Our text says, first of all, you need to have to, you're going to have to value instruction. You have to value correction. Don't see it as rejection. See it as a chance to grow. And third, you've got to value obedience. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. It's not enough to come to church. The, the value of an altar call is when you hear the word and you come to the front and you pray and you're making decisions about what you've heard and you're asking God for strength and grace and power so that you can do what you've heard. Become active in learning. Nor, he said these words, nor incline my ear to those who instructed me. You know what the problem with me was? He said, I didn't incline my ear. I wasn't looking to learn. I wasn't looking to, 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 that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who's looking to learn. It's an attitude of humility. Teach me. I want to change as a man. I want to change as a woman. I want to learn from others. These are attitudes that fundamentally change and allow us in the presence of God for him to bring grace to your home and grace to your life and a miracle. And I close with best defense. And uh, we could go on and we can go on because there's so much to say, but we won't. But the best defense, the next verses are, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. You know what the real issue is? is you've got to see it's worth it. For so many people, I, I just don't know if it's worth it. I want to tell you, if you allow God, and, and, and God can bring a healing, and God can bring a help, and God can bring out of a, a, a marriage that's empty, and he can revitalize that and bring blessing, I want to tell you there's no greater joy in life Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only for your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. And why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress, and the truth is both ways. Let me say this as we just simply, there's, again, if you change your attitude, you're going to change your life. 
If you change like this and say, I'm not going to live like this man. I'm in the house of God for a reason. There are resources. There is power. There are answers. There's hope. There's supernatural strength. There's abilities. There's things that I can see. I can, I can be delivered and God can help us. Uh, but if we change our attitude, but, but it's possible. Let me say this to you very quickly. It is possible to be giving and investing in everything but our marriage. And tonight, my, my simple challenge is you, you must make a recommitment to rediscover. You see, an affair has various components to it. That's what makes it, there's components. Well, wh- why can't you have those components in your marriage? Why can't you have those components in your marriage? You see, first of all, the thing with marriage and life, if you're not careful, life just gets very... I'm going to say boring. Is that, would that be a good word? It just becomes humdrum. You're just, you're in a routine. Weeks at a time, nothing's changing, nothing's happening. You're doing the same thing week in, week out. At some point, you just have to say, stuff responsibility. Pastor, what has got into you tonight? It's true. At some point, sometimes you have to say, blow the schedules. At some point, you need to come up and you need to come and go and do what you want. Eat what you want. (laughs) Drink what you like. Obviously, (laughs) get up when you want. Stay up all night if you wish. Indulge. Do something. Because it's easy. Just week in, week out, week in. Week out, at some point, you have to say, no, we're going to just, we're going to do, we're going to do, you know, because many times what's missing is not just love, friendship is missing. You no longer, there's no longer any kind of just, let's, let's break the box here. Let's, let's do something. Let's eat ice cream all night. You can see where I'm coming from, can't you? It's like, hey. You know what? Here's, a, here's one for you. 90% of couples involved in affairs confess to sexual activity in their cars. Now, in their vehicles. Now, I don't want you to get arrested. I don't want you to get arrested. We're talking about components of an affair. 90% had activities in a car. Now, again, don't get arrested, blame me. But when was the last time you were simply chaotic, unplanned, lustful, and oblivious to the circumstances? I know this is Christian, but it's true. When was the last time? Well, some, some of you, that's the only thing you're going to remember in this whole sermon. But that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. The third thing is you need to spend some money on your marriage. Folks, seriously, think about it. On your marriage, on some travel, on a hotel. Wow, why would I want to stay in a hotel? I've got my bed at home. <laughs> Don't like the food in restaurants anyway. I can cook it. Be- I, I know, I know you can. But what about some trips? What about some memories? 
What about, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to meet for lunch. I know we both work, you know what, you know we both work, but you know what, why don't we just, let's just meet for lunch. And then learn forgiveness. You may have, you, sometimes we have a thousand things that are just built up. You held on to it, you let it go, you held on, held on, held on, and now there's just a distance in your home. Forgive. Pray over those things because I want to tell you if you'll flee, if you'll flee adultery, if you'll invest in your home, it's worth it. It's worth the effort. It's worth the blessing and it's worth the joy. We live in a place right here that's miracle ground. And I want to tell you, some of you think it's impossible how we're so far distant. You'd be amazed how when you begin to say, make a commitment to this, God can bless you. Let's bow our heads together. Our heads are bowed.